This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners, and welcome to Radio Astronomy's Guide to the Best Thing to See in the Night Sky in November 2021. I'm Ezzy Pearson and I'm joined on the podcast today by Reviews Editor Paul Money. Hi, Ezzy. Hello. And today you're going to be telling us all the best sights that we can catch in the Northern Hemisphere over the month of November. So, Paul, what are your recommendations for this month? Well, would you believe it? We're going to start with an ending. <laughs> sounds with an a bit, ending? Sounds, with an ending. <laughs> sounds a bit of an oddity, doesn't it? Sort of thing, you know, sort of, you know, thinking, what on earth is he on about? But last month, Towards the end of October, we actually had Mercury move up into the morning sky, into the morning twilight. Now, um, this is one of the best apparitions of Mercury in the morning sky because they do vary throughout the years. It does appear in the morning sky usually two to three times, but usually only one of them is really good sort of thing. And this is the one that's really good. So it started in October, but now it finishes and it finishes on a bit of a high note because Mercury is always brightest in the morning sky at the end of its actual apparition. So this is the time now during November, the first couple of weeks of November, to actually grab the elusive inner planet. They say elusive, though, you know, Ezzy, but in actual fact, it is a naked eye planet. It's just a case of looking out at the right time. And you can spot it low down in the twilight as long as you uh, look at the right sort of time. So always look around about sort of half an hour to three quarters of an hour after sunset, uh, sun, sunrise, I should say. So if you're doing it at sunset, you've done it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> at least at this time of year, anyway. It is. So when it's a morning one, make sure you're looking in the morning sky. But uh, yeah, this one, as I say, it's, uh, it's, I always, I don't get many of them because I have a very poor, East, southeast horizon sort of things. So I've got a lot of stuff that gets in the way, which is a shame. So you do need an uncluttered east, southeast horizon, really, to get the best out of this. Um, but uh, Mercury is at greatest elongation on October the 25th. So greatest elongation is the furthest it gets from the sun before it starts to drift back towards the solar glare. So when we're in November, you know, we actually have it on that sort of downward slide, but it's still well placed to observe nearly for two weeks. And we have a really good guide because anybody who likes following the moon um, will actually have the, the very slim crescent moon uh, on November the 3rd actually guide you to Mercury. And Mercury will be below, sort of like the lower left of the crescent moon. Uh, and of course, the crescent moon itself, you know, it's gorgeous to see the Earth shine on it as well. So we've got Mercury there and you've got the crescent moon with Earth shine to glow above it on November the 3rd. But at the same time, nearly parallel and slightly to the right, actually, of Mercury, we'll have 
the star Spicer. Now, some say Spiker, some say Spicer. I, I'm, I'm always Spicer myself, sort of thing. It doesn't mean it's how I'm into the spice of life or anything like that, but it, it's way how pretty people pronounce it, isn't it? The star names are a bit of an, a nightmare, aren't I'm, they? I'm a Spiker girl myself. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's a bit of a nightmare getting it right because um, you know, we haven't got the language left um, from those days of how it was actually pronounced. We didn't have recordings in them days, has he? <laughs> And people probably pronounced it differently back then as well. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I wouldn't be surprised if we've all got it completely wrong. Uh, and if somebody from, you know, ancient Greece could actually listen to us now, they'd probably, well, they probably wouldn't laugh sort of thing. They'd just go, huh, modern civilization, hey, you know. But uh, yeah, so Spicer is actually Alpha Virginis. So uh, when it emerges back into the sky, it does mean that sort of like Virgo is uh, creeping back into the morning sky as well. So look out that from the November the third. It'll the spike will be just to the lower right of the moon, whereas Mercury will be to the lower left. So uh, you know, so Mercury continues down though. I mean, it is bright. It's around about minus zero point eight. So it is a decent sort of brightness to. Catch it, um, and so it gradually drops down towards the horizon, and uh, you might get a chance. Now, this is a harder job, but you might get a chance to spot Mars emerging into the actual uh, morning twilight as well, because Mars will have gone through solar conjunction uh, during October. So this is the time to catch Mercury and Mars together, and you'll want to be looking around on the tenth and eleventh. So if you can still see. Mercury on the 10th and 11th. Look out for another star quite close to it, and that'll be actually Mars as well. And you need to be doing all this sort of thing, I say, around about half an hour, three quarters of an hour um, before sunrise. Uh, get it right this time, and um, <laughs> you know, and look roughly towards the east south east sort of thing for it in the in the bright twilight. But uh, that's a a good way of starting a month with an ending as Mercury comes to the end of its last good morning apparition for two thousand and twenty one. So it's uh, I always like to catch Mercury, you know. I mean, I've struggled this year. The weather has been so rubbish, you know. I haven't re we haven't really had as many good nights as we normally have or good mornings. So uh, it's been a real shame. What makes astronomy so challenging? You have to keep an eye out and and grab those yeah. clear nights when you can. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's 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 something that you can't sort of like ignore um, if it's going to be clear. Although I have to say that the weatherman's version of clear and our version of clear are, are obviously two different definitions <laughs> uh, because uh, too often I've seen, so, yes, and tonight there'll be uh, clear periods or it'll be clear completely. And I go out and there's haze sort of thing, mm. and a halo, nice halo around the moon, mind you. That's always nice to see sort of thing. But it's a bad side if you see a halo around the moon because it usually means it's pretty grotty for anything else usually deep skies wiped out so uh, actually interesting that through haze planets aren't too bad uh, obviously they're brighter so that's actually something to bear in mind you know if it is hazy don't give up completely if there's a planet about if there's a planet about planet to observe it oh, yeah there's, there's usually it's, there's usually something that you can get out and observe you just might have to adapt your observing schedule based yes. on what nature's deciding to do that month exactly 
it's uh, you know so we make the best of the uh, of the weather you know so if it's hazy don't worry so there's something you might be able to do and i say i like seeing the lunar halos they're, they're quite pretty uh and sometimes you get what they call uh moon dogs they're the same as sun dogs uh so uh, but they happen so either side of the moon about 22 degrees away so they're worth looking out for i haven't seen many and i haven't photographed many but uh, i have actually seen them they they're quite interesting but they they have to be quite intense to uh, actually spot them mm-hmm. now venus is still there i mean <laughs> we've said this i think for the last heaven knows how many months but in the evening twilight venus still lingers and it's one of those apparitions, whereas I was mentioned about Mercury having a really good apparition in the morning sky, and Mercury does the same thing in the evening as well. It has one particularly good apparition that's good, and that's usually in the sort of like March, April, May period. If you get Mercury in the evening sky, then it's really good. But if you get them in the sort of like this period times, so October, November, and early December, then you have a bit of a problem because the ecliptic is very shallow to the horizon. So in actual fact, anything that's lying along the ecliptic actually sets quite quickly. Um, But it lingers. They're very low down all the time in evening twilight. And so Venus is still there, (laughs) and it will still be there over November and into December as well. Um, So it's lingering. But there's a strange effect takes place now, because as we go through the month of November, the ecliptic begins to slowly steepen a little. And what that does, it means Venus actually improves. You think after all this time, as it's beginning to recede back to the sun, because it's past greatest elongation as well, then it should actually, you'd think it'd get worse. But it's a quirk of nature that because the ecliptic slowly gets steeper because of the tilt of the Earth and of course and how we're moving around the sun, that it actually improves the visibility of Venus. But it also means Jupiter and Saturn stay visible as well. And Venus is catching up. Hasn't quite reached them yet, but it is catching them up. So when we start on November the 1st sort of thing, Venus is quite a long distance away from Jupiter and Saturn and low down. By the time we get to the end of the month, then Venus is closer. In fact, Saturn is almost piggy in the middle between it and Jupiter. So it shows you the motion of the solar system sort of thing, how things are slowly moving and the inner planets are gradually catching up with the outer giants as well. So it's always an interesting thing about this ecliptic and the fact that, you know, this is what's causing Venus to stay visible, you know, and not go. You'd think if it's that low, it must be close to setting and getting getting out of the way. But no, no, it's going to stay around for a few months yet sort of thing. It's determined to stay with us, I tell you, Ezzy. So <laughs> here we have an actual fact, sort of that Venus, I say, visible for the time being. Now, It'll stay visible all month. There's one or two events we'll come to in a moment. But as we move through the month itself, we get to November the 5th. Yes, I know. November the 5th. Very auspicious Mm. night. There'll be lots of fireworks going on, which actually coincides nicely with the, uh, I believe, our November issue has an interesting article about how to observe during fireworks. It does, absolutely. This is the key, because November the 5th, the planet Uranus comes to opposition. And opposition is when the planet is opposite the sun in the sky, which means as the sun sets, the planet rises. And it means also that the planet is visible all night long. Clean naked eye. It's usually about magnitude 5.6 to 5.8. So that's bordering naked eye. But you do need dark skies, no light pollution, no city lights or anything like that. Um, And a good star chart sort of thing, which, of course, we have in our monthly charts anyway. So, you know, we can 
find it if you're clear. I have seen it naked eye, but now I wear glasses, I have to say that's gone out the window, sort of thing, which is a great shame. But it doesn't take much optical um, magnification to make it visible. So even the small binoculars, you'll be able to find the planet Uranus. So it's an opposition then on November the 5th. What a really good night to actually have an opposition itself. A few years ago, I, uh, my sister asked me to take her, well, we, we went with her children to watch a big fireworks display, but it was a really clear night. And what was I doing? I was watching Jupiter rise over in the east because it was so bright and uh, it was just a gorgeous sight. So there we are. We had the fireworks going off all around us, sort of thing. Nice, bright, big display, uh, music going on in the background. And they were wondering what I was doing. I was pointing out, look, there's Jupiter instead. They said, we're here for the fireworks. <laughs> but I'm an astronomer. I think that is that is a good reminder though because I know a lot of astronomers they get a bit annoyed by the fireworks because it puts out all of this kind of haze and, and the sort of gunpowder residue into the air means it's quite difficult to observe but there is still stuff you can see you can still see the moon well if the moon's up then and you can still see Jupiter Exactly. The really brightest stuff you can do. But yes, we, we do get a bit annoyed with all the muck put up into the atmosphere sort of thing, because you can guarantee that there's something you want to watch particularly and uh, that the haze drifts over it and spoils the view. Or there's a bright flash. Just imagine looking through a... I mean, I, I, it's not happened to me, but looking through a telescope and a firework goes up through the field of view and explodes. And that wouldn't be very nice, would it? You'd no. think you'd found a supernova going off. <laughs> But uh, so that was November the 5th then for uh, Uranus at opposition. And I say it is actually quite easy to spot if you know where. And even small binoculars will actually show it extremely well. It's actually in Aries at the moment. And it's not too far. It's between 29 Arietus and Omicron Arietus as well. So uh, that's a, a nice way to find it. If you've got your star charts out, you actually should find it. But I say it is a reasonably bright planet. It's just not naked eye for most people. But if you've got keen eyesight, you might just spot it if you've got really dark skies, but just watch out for the fireworks going off at the same time. Now, moving into the month, we just get back to Venus because on November the 7th, just a couple of days later in the evening, we have the crescent moon. And of course, the crescent moon isn't just seen in the morning skies, it's seen in the evening skies as well, because obviously the moon orbits around the Earth. So we get to see it at all times of night, depending on its phase. So it's back into the evening sky by November the 7th, and it's quite a decent crescent. And it'll be to the right of Venus. Now, you shouldn't really need the crescent moon to find Venus, <laughs> you know, probably the brightest planet out of the whole lot, but it does help and it adds to the spectacle. And then the next night, the moon on November the 8th is the other side of Venus, so it swaps sides with the planet. The planet effectively plays piggy in the middle again um, because of the uh, moon one side and then the next night the moon is the uh, other side. So uh, I say you, you shouldn't really need the moon as a guide to get Venus, but it'll be a pretty sight. And um, nowadays, our, our, our smartphones are so amazing in what they can capture, sort of thing. So, you know, you can use your smartphone to capture the moon. In theory, if you manage to capture the actual picture of the moon on the 7th with the Venus and on the 8th, you could merge them together to show the moon either side. That'd be an interesting project, wouldn't it? Something different to do. Now, I mentioned that Venus is gradually catching up with Jupiter and Saturn. That means we have three major planets in the evening sky, four if you count Uranus. And of course, Neptune's up as well, but it's a lot fainter, so we won't really cover uh, Neptune this month. But on November the 10th, 11th, we have the moon again, 
uh, getting close. It's directly below Saturn on November the 10th. This is in the evening sky. And you don't have to look in the twilight now. So you can leave it until a bit later. Um, so the sky is darker. But on the 11th, the moon is at first quarter. So it looks like a half moon. And that night, it's directly below Jupiter sort of thing. So again, you shouldn't need the moon to find these planets, but they, if you're not very familiar with the night sky and you, you still, if you're perhaps just into astronomy, just get into it. I mean, you're not, you're not going to know these objects very well. So if you know that on the 10th, the moon is directly below uh, Saturn, you can look out and Saturn and Jupiter outshine any of the stars in the constellation they're in at the moment, which is Capricornus. So, you know, it outshines them. So, you know, with the moon below it, you can easily spot which is Saturn and which is Jupiter. Jupiter will be the bright planet to the left of Saturn in actual fact. But I say, on the 11th, the, the first quarter moon will be directly below Jupiter. So uh, you can't mistake them. So that's another nice one to actually watch. And again, view with binoculars if you can. If you've got nice low-power binoculars, are particularly good that you should just get them both in the same field of view for both Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, sorry, um, no, the Moon and Saturn and the Moon and Jupiter as well. So uh, uh, nice to spot them. And at the moment, Jupiter and Saturn are still reasonably close. But over the coming years, the gap will get significantly bigger as Jupiter moves away from Saturn. I always say Jupiter moves about one constellation per year. Uh, so, you know, it's in Capricornus at the moment. It'll be in Aquarius um, next year. So, and it steadily moves further away sort of thing. Saturn is much slower because it's further away from us as well. Now, when we get to the 19th, because we have a few gaps, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention the Leonids a little bit later on uh, because the meteor shower, but uh, November the 19th, again, I like it when planets are right next to stars because, A, they, the planet, if it's a bright planet, will guide you to a star you probably won't look at or haven't paid a lot of attention to. And on November the 19th, we actually get that uh, because Venus, we're back to Venus in the evening sky. I'm trying to keep them nice and convenient, Ezzy, sort of thing, because they're in the evening sky for us. But the thing is, Venus is right next to the star Nunki sort of thing. Well worth having a look. It's Sigma Sagittarii. And so it's right, I mean, it literally, it's in a telescopic field of view, sort of thing. It's that close. So, you know, binoculars might just separate them, but a small telescope will be really good to actually spot them. So uh, I say, it's a real nice photo opportunity. And I like it when, you know, planets are right next to a, a bright star, because they guide you to the star. And uh, these these conjunctions, you know, are really look really good, sort of thing. So uh, and that's one thing I like to point out, the conjunctions in the night sky we can actually spot. Now, Later that night, and this is one of the things sometimes you get a run of events on, on the, uh, on the same evening. Later that evening, the moon is actually full. So, you know, it'll be very bright. It'll, it'll overwhelm the vast majority of stars, but on that evening sort of thing. So give it another few hours, sort of thing, around about sort of eight to 10 o'clock, sort of thing. We find the moon lies directly between the Pleiades. M45, the seven sister star cluster, and the Hyades, which is the V, shape of the head of the bull, Taurus the bull. And of course, we've got Aldebaran, which is the orange, bright orange star, the eye 
always say the red eye of the bull, but it's more orange uh, to my eyes. So the moon lies exactly between them. So, you know, if you look at the moon and then you see a little hazy patch above, use binoculars to make it clearer, but you'll see a hazy patch above, which is the Pleiades star cluster. And then I say, naked eye, the Hyades are quite bright. So well worth having a look at. And you can see the two clusters. I always think, Taurus is a funny constellation because essentially it's mainly made up of clusters. You know, two big clusters are the main features within that constellation. So there we are. Now, we'll come back to Taurus in a short while, but let's swap to the morning sky again. We have to do a few of the morning skies, but people do, we do get up, don't we? And people do get up to walk the dog. But on the morning of November the 22nd, we have another circumstance where there's a planet next to uh, an, an interesting star in this particular case, because it'll be a double star. This is Mars. So we're in the morning twilight. So look around about 6.30 in the morning, low down towards the east-southeast, grab Mars. Mars was brighter of the group, but Alpha Libra, Zuben El Ganubi. That's a mouthful, isn't it, sort of thing? <laughs> But the thing about it is it's actually a nice wide double in telescopes. You know, it's it's sort of one of those showpieces sort of thing with a, a slightly fainter companion. And Mars will be right next to it. In fact, Mars will make it look like a triple star. So this is an unusual circumstance in a telescope. Binoculars will show them only just, but really a telescope is best for this. And you can actually see Mars next. And it'll be joining Alpha Libra. Uh, and, and basically, it'll be looking like as if it's a, a triple star instead of a double star. And catch it for one morning only, folks, because after that, Mars is gone, you know, because Mars moves on past the actual a star itself. And Mars is moving, of course, the stars aren't except for their usual rotation around the Earth because of the turning of the Earth itself. So, But Mars itself has its own motion in the solar system. So one night only, one morning only, grab Mars next to Alpha Libra. And so about 6.30 is the time I would actually look for that. But that's November the 22nd, the morning object. Now we just flip back to Jupiter because I like these conjunctions. As I say, mentioning planets next to stars. And as it happens, sometimes because of the, the motion of the planets, you have to remember we have the retrograde loop effect, whereby an outer planet appears to do this sort of slight loop in the sky. And if that occurs close to a reasonably bright star, then effectively you get often three conjunctions, uh, in fact, a maximum of three conjunctions with that star. And as it happened, the final one for Jupiter with Delta Capricorni takes place on November the 23rd. So the next evening, in actual fact, this is the third and final conjunction of it for what we call this Jovian year. So you'll have to wait another 12 odd years for it to actually go round the sun again, sort of thing, and then come back to the same spot in the sky. So this is the third and final conjunction between Delta Capricorni and Jupiter itself. I mean, Jupiter has been lingering near this star for a while. And in fact, it was closest around about four days earlier. So around about the 18th, 19th. But it's just a quirk of nature that we call a proper conjunction is when it's lined up with the right ascension. The coordinates of the right ascension are actually match for the star and the planet itself. But we do tend to use conjunction quite loosely, I have to admit. A lot of amateur astronomers, if their object is next to a star, that's generally considered it's in conjunction. But if we were really, really strict, November the 23rd is when Jupiter is in conjunction with Delta Capricorni. Now, we have a chance to see dwarf planet. 
And we turn back now to Taurus the bull and the Hyades and Aldebaran because Ceres, this dwarf planet, you know, he got, he got changed. I mean, I bet it felt really good. Poor old Pluto got demoted. Ceres got promoted. So Ceres series went from a minor planet to a dwarf planet. You know, I mean, dwarf and minor, they're, they're near enough almost the same thing, really, aren't they? <laughs> well, it sounds very similar anyway. I always have to look up which one means which. <laughs> I know, I know. It's 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 one. Of, I mean, I I still prefer the term asteroid sort of thing, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, but it's just one of those things. I'm an oldie, you see. I'm an oldie. <laughs> but the thing about Dwarf Planet series is it's actually at opposition towards the end of the month on the twenty seventh. But let's have a quick look at series now because it is. A, an easy object to get in binoculars, a magnitude seven, um, so ideal round opposition. But during November, it actually passes through the Hyades. And on the night of November the 2nd, 3rd, we've actually got it right next to Aldebaran. So we have another solar system body right next to an incredibly bright star. Now, I can't remember a time when, in all, in all the years I've been observing, I can't remember a time when a minor planet that I've observed a minor planet so close, sorry, dwarf planet, oh gosh, see, I'm getting it wrong myself, but right next to a really bright star such as Aldebaran. So that'll be quite something to watch out for. And again, it's nice if you can get, because it's a reasonably bright um, object this series you can take a series of photographs and if you get a run of clear nights <laughs> oh hang on i've got to make myself laugh now a run of clear nights what are, what's that does that actually happen it does sometimes it does sometimes but if you've got a run of nights from sort of november the 2nd through to november the 20th you could take a sequence of photographs they don't have to be detailed long exposures a simple short exposure 10 20 seconds could actually do it you could pick up series, night after night, moving through the Hyades cluster. And then again, you could layer them. We've done you know, these in our astro processing features, whereby we've shown how to layer these and show something actually moving in the sky. So this would be a good chance to test that out. So series moves through the Hyades and, and leaves the Hyades around about November the 20th, 21st. Then it reaches opposition on the 27th. So therefore, just like Uranus, it's visible all night long. So we'd be able to see it all the time. And I say it's a, it's a nice one for binoculars. It's, it's not quite the brightest of the minor worlds. Vesta does that. Vesta isn't available at the moment, but certainly Ceres is. So definitely go for Ceres this particular time. Now, finally, we usually would mention the Leonid's meteor shower, which occur on the 17th and 18th. Unfortunately, this year, it's actually compromised by the moon. So, you know, there's a lot of moonlight. And unfortunately, the moon's in the morning sky. And really for the Leonids, Leo, the constellation, rises sort of thing late in the night sort of thing and gets to its highest around about three, four o'clock in the morning. Unfortunately, the moon is still up at that time. So it will flood the sky with light. So it'll spoil the view. It won't wipe them out completely. It is always worth looking out just in case. So if you've got a clear morning from the 17th into the 18th, it's worth looking out, but you need to keep your expectations realistic because the normal rate is anywhere from 80 to 100 sort of thing because Leonids can be good. And of course, every 33 years, they have a spectacular outburst. Well, we're nowhere near that, but you know, it's worth looking out. You never know. You might get the, the odd one that's particularly bright. So, you know, it's worth looking, but just keep your expectations yeah, realistic. You know, the moonlight is going to dim a lot of them, so you're only going to see the very brightest when they actually occur. 
It's not been a very good year for meteor showers. The moon's just being very uncooperative this year. Seems to always be full whenever there's a moon. I know, and and it, it is frustrating. And you know, there are uh, amateur astronomers out there who who specifically only watch meteor showers. You know, so it must have been very disappointing this year for them as such. Next year is a little bit better for some of the showers, so that's something to look forward to. But uh, it is a shame because the Leonids are one of those that you say have the potential to have a, an occasional outburst as well because they they know there are filaments that accompany the mainstream. They're getting incredibly good at modelling these filaments as well. But as far as I'm aware, there isn't a particularly bright filament this time for us to look out for. And I say, there's the compromise of the moon. Now, you do have a period of about an hour before sunrise where the moon is so low and setting that it might give you a chance to see something. So, you know, I say it isn't, it isn't a complete washout, but, you know, you have to keep your expectations realistic sort of thing. The moonlight will generally wash out most of them, especially if you don't want to get up very, very early in the morning sky. Uh, so there we are. So that's all the main uh, objects. There is an interesting, and it, I have to say it's very, very partial, but there's a partial eclipse on the morning of the 19th. But it's happening just as the moon sets. Isn't that <laughs> typical? Isn't that typical? Yeah. So I didn't go into detail on it, but just uh, on the 19th the morning, as the moon setting, there is a partial lunar eclipse, but it is going to be so minor. We should we should mention that is it's going to be setting in the UK. I yes, think that's in true. the US. They, they'll probably get a good view of it, sort of thing, because they're, of course, further around. The, yes, definitely. But for the UK, definitely, it, we, we will not get a good view at all. <laughs> so if we do have any listeners over in the US, you get to have a lovely lunar eclipse. We, unfortunately, here in the UK do not. But that is one to watch out for if you're in that part of the world. That, that's life, isn't it? <laughs> or, or, or we should say that's astronomy. <laughs> yes, I'm sure in a couple of years we'll have a brilliant one that nobody else will be able to see very well. That's just how it works. Um, sometimes you get the moon blocking out all of your meteor showers and then another couple of years it's set throughout most of them throughout the year. So. And then we have to put up with cloud, don't we? And then we have to put up with cloud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's always the the, the thing. Yeah, we get a really good one, no moon and whatnot. And so we're all pleased looking at the weather forecast. But please stay clear, stay clear, stay clear. You know, I think if we all stand outside and just uh, shout up, sort of thing, or or call to to whoever deity you happen to support, <laughs> asking for. The, I, I have a, a bit of a joke uh, that uh, I I watched a film. It was the Vikings with. Uh, Tony Curtis. <clears throat> oh, and I forget the other top actor. He was a really top actor. But uh, it was a funny thing because uh, Tony Curtis was put in a pool of water to die because he, he was a very poor Viking. But uh, the soothsayer called upon Odin to send the wind to turn the tide sort of thing. Now, you might think, well, where's this leading? Well, I'm daft enough that one night it was cloud and I really wanted to see something. So I said, Odin, Odin, send the wind to clear the skies. And it cleared. <laughs> it cleared, and I saw it. So occasionally I use that. It it doesn't always work. <laughs> but, uh, so there we are, sort of thing. You know, you, you can always try it. You never know. <laughs> I, I've got I've got ginger hair, so I mean I'm supposed to be part Viking, so that's my excuse, and I'm going to stick with it. But as it, that's the main events for November. There is a lot to look out for, isn't there? You know, there's always something for us to keep an eye out for. 
Yes, there certainly is a lot to look out for this month. Uh, you've got Mercury in the morning skies, um, still staying with us. Venus is also hanging around for quite a while. Um, possibly a good opportunity to get to see Uranus with this month, though you will need your, your telescope or binoculars for that, most likely. But also the dwarf planet Ceres will be reaching opposition on the 27th, uh, though there is a nice uh, conjunction with a bright star on the second and third of this month as well. Um, unfortunately, it looks like the Leonids are going to be a bit of a washout, but you might still want to pay attention and, and, and see if you can catch a couple of those if you're out and happen to be observing on the 17th as well. So thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Paul. It's a pleasure, Ezzy, as always. And if our listeners want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky this month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for in the Northern Hemisphere in November 2021. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with detailed charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Brittany Colley. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skynightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. 